The Seahawks once again have a massive hole in the center of their offensive line. Where might they turn heading into free agency? Find out in our latest episode of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. A special thanks to all the 12s out there for hanging in there for this later than usual show, NFL Combine Week, things get a little crazy trying to get all those numbers and getting analysis, prepping for shows. Just got back from Indianapolis as well. Going to be looking at the testing results for cornerbacks and safeties, the winners and losers from a Seahawks-centric scope, and checking out who might replace Austin Blythe at the center position. Jam-packed Friday episode coming your way here, so let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on our Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. Dropping a bit of a bombshell in the middle of Combine Week on Instagram of all places, Austin Blythe announced a somewhat surprising retirement on Tuesday leaving the Seahawks with a major hole at the center position. Now, I'll admit, we've been talking about this throughout the offseason. That might have already been a hole anyway because Blythe was heading towards free agency, and it was uncertain whether the Seahawks were going to try to bring him back or look for an upgrade. Now, there's no doubt about that with Blythe deciding to hang up his cleats. And with this being a solid draft class in the center position, of course, that could be the route the Seahawks choose to go with 10 draft picks and four picks in the first two rounds as well. They'll have a great opportunity to find that long-term center. But this is also a somewhat intriguing free agent group at the center position. So looking at some players that might be potential targets for the Seahawks if they want to spend some money on a free agent center, I'm not going to be including Jason Kelsey on this list. I think he's the most talented free agent center out there, but he's 35 going on 36 I don't think he's going to play another down in the NFL for a team not named the Philadelphia Eagles. So I'll just admit he would have been on this list if we're just looking at pure players, but I don't see any way he's playing for anybody except the Eagles. That being said, there are some really good centers in this free agent class that I think would make some sense for at least the Seahawks to consider going out and signing to replace Austin Blythe and starting my top five here. With the Minnesota Vikings, Garrett Bradbury, a former first-round pick out of North Carolina State, projected salary, according to Spot Track, $11.9 million per year. So we're talking a guy that's going to be expensive to sign, even though he doesn't necessarily have the Pro Bowls and the All-Pro accolades to his name. He's only 27 years old. And the big reason why I've got him on this list at number one, for one thing, the age, him being just 27, he is in the prime of his career. He's also consistently been a top-notch run blocker over a 69 grade in three of the last four years from Pro Football Focus opening up holes for Dalvin Cook. And he's an athletic center that does his best as a zone blocker. We know that Shane Waldron and that Ram-style offense coming from Sean McVay's coaching staff, they like to run zone and so this would be the kind of athletic center at 306 pounds it would make sense and he can bully people a little bit when he wants to he also had his best season in pass protection last year that was his biggest problem his first three years in the league only gave up two sacks last season so really turned the corner there it feels like he is just hitting his stride 
So he's going to be expensive, but this would be a guy that could be your center for the next five to eight years to go with Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas, and you could really secure a position that has been playing musical chairs the last couple of years for the Seahawks. Number two on my list, Connor McGovern. Now there's two Connor McGovern's in the NFL. I'm talking about the one with the New York Jets, not the one with the Dallas Cowboys. And Spotrick actually is projecting $12.5 million per year for him. And he's a little older player. He's going to be turning 30 years old in April, which for a center, that's not really that old. He's still got a lot of good football in him. He's never been an all-pro. He's never been a pro bowler, but He's another guy that has been outstanding as a run blocker. He ranked ninth last year, according to Pro Football Focus, at 69.7. He also had good grades as both a zone blocker and a gap blocker. So this is a guy that can come into any offensive scheme, get the job done as a run blocker. He has had two seasons. He's given up at least 30 pressures in pass protection. So he's been more hit and miss in that category. But the last two years, 97.8% or better pass protection efficiency rate. So he's not been an eyesore in that capacity either. He's been solid in pass protection and one of the better run blockers at the position, still a young enough player that he's got several years left in him. I think he could make a lot of sense. And it's another guy that's in that 305, 306 pound range that isn't a massive center, is a decent athlete that you can use in a variety of different types of schemes. So I think McGovern would be a player that would make a lot of sense if the Seahawks were looking to spend. I'm surprised that Bradbury is not the highest priced guy. McGovern, I think, is going to come a little bit cheaper, but he's a really solid starting center in the National Football League. At number three on my list, this is the guy that really is the uh, – he's really the – odd man out here in terms of build. Bradley Bozeman is a 325-pound center. He is a massive human being. And not surprisingly, you look back at his early career with the Baltimore Ravens, he was at his best in a gap scheme, including in 2021, where he earned a 76.1 gap blocking grade from PFF, one of the best in the NFL at that. He is really good at getting his hands on defenders and knocking them off the ball. That's not necessarily Seattle style with their current system. At the same time, though, They've liked guards like that over the years in the Pete Carroll era. And he's got good footwork for a player of his size. Last year also ranked 13th out of 28 in or 28 centers in uh, zone blocking as well. So he is another player that can play in both types of schemes, even though I think he is better suited to get downhill in a gap blocking scheme. He would make a lot of sense for the Seahawks. He also only gave up two sacks and 12 pressures last year. So he's another player that seems to be ascending in pass protection. He has started a lot of games in the National Football League. He's also an outstanding human being off the field. And closing out my list, this is going to be the one that surprises our listeners because he's played for the Seattle Seahawks and they replaced him with Austin Blythe last year. Ethan Posick went to the Cleveland Browns last season, though, and had the best year of his career, and it's not even close. Two sacks, only 10 pressures allowed in 13 starts. He was graded out as the fifth best run blocker in the NFL, and I watched some of the games. This guy was getting after it, and maybe it was just because he was around a lot of other really good offensive linemen in Cleveland, but that was not the Ethan Posick that we saw consistently in Seattle. And the thing is, if not for injuries, maybe we would have seen that player that would be my big concern here, and I think that's why he's only listed at $7.2 million per year, even though he had a great season last year. He still missed four games with injuries. He's had issues staying healthy, but if Seattle wants to go to an old standby that they know well, he's only 27. you got to hold out hope that you can keep him on the field, but he showed last year what type of center that he can be, and this is the player they thought he was going to be, and the injuries prevented him from developing. 
as Justin Britt's replacement. So maybe not far-fetched that Ethan Posa could come back to Seattle and potentially play well. You just need to hope that you can keep him healthy. And maybe the most intriguing player on this list that the Seahawks know well from this past season. Jake Brendel has not been a starter until this past season. Stepped in for the retiring Alex Mack at center for the 49ers. And all he did was have a top five pass protection grade, was one of the top graded run blockers, handled Kyle Shanahan's scheme really well, did well in both gap and zone schemes. He's only 299 pounds, but he plays bigger than that. And playing at Shanahan's system, there's a lot of similarities to what the Seahawks run with Shane Waldron, especially with the boot game. And so I think he would be a natural fit at the center position. He's a little older player, going to be 31. But again, that's not ancient for a center. And this is a guy that hasn't played a lot of snaps in the NFL either. So he's going to be a young 31. Might be a guy that can be a long-term answer for you at center. And it's subtraction from the San Francisco 49ers taking away one of their better offensive linemen as well. So I'm intrigued by all five of the players that I just listed off here. And a few of them are going to be really expensive to sign. A few of them, maybe Jake Brendel and Ethan Posick are not going to be guys that are going to break the bank necessarily that you could bring in. But there at least are some options. I think the Seahawks are going to be strongly looking into the draft. But if they want to go the free agent route and they want to have an experienced communicator that has played at a high level, there's going to be plenty of candidates out there. And maybe that brings the price down a little bit because there's so many capable centers that have a chance to hit the market on March 15th. I'm fascinated to see what the Seahawks do. The one thing we do know, they will have a different center, Austin Blythe, now retiring out of the picture. So they're either going to sign somebody or they're going to draft that long-term center with one of those high draft picks come April. So it's going to be some change up on the offensive line and we'll see what happens. Coming up next, another exciting day at the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. Cornerbacks and safeties taking part in testing. I'm going to look at some winners and losers at the cornerback position coming up next year on our Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories, you got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little healthier this year. If you're like me and you want to eat healthier but don't want to compromise taste, then Built Bars are the perfect snack for you. Healthy is actually tasty. It's perfect for your New Year's resolution. And what makes them so good is they're 100% real chocolate and they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, my personal favorite, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how they do it, but they make these amazing protein bars that taste like candy bars while maintaining amazing macros such as 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And the best part, now you don't have to wait to have them ship you a box for years. We've been telling you to order your Built Bars at Built.com, but now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. Head over to Walmart today, go to the pharmacy section, you can get a box of Built Bars, pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. And if you're close to a Sam's Club, you can get a 13-bar box with other hip flavors such as brownie batter and churro. You can thank me later. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm Corbin Smith. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. The NFL Scouting Combine taking place in Indianapolis. Day two of testing today. And it really was a little bit of a microcosm of what this draft class is going to look like. Because I think you got to see one of the elite 
position groups and maybe the weakest position group in this draft class. Now, granted, as we get to the safeties, there were some big time names that did not participate in testing today due to injuries. And so that impacted things a little bit, but the cornerback group put on a show, a number of players that were running in the four threes and low four fours. In fact, most of the corners were there guys jumping out of the building broad jumps that we haven't seen before. It, it was an exciting event for this cornerback group. And I'm not surprised by it because this has been one of the two or three groups that I've been really intrigued by in terms of talent and depth. And there's a ton of good corners in this class. I don't know if there's necessarily that elite guy at the top of the draft, but there's a lot of players that could be really good starters in the NFL in this draft class. Let's get to our winners. And to me, one of the biggest winners figuratively and literally in this combine so far this year's Tariq Woolen, that's got to be Julius Brents. Now, I'll give I'll give him this. He is not Tariq Woolen in the 40. He ran a 4.53, which at six foot three with 34-inch arms, that is still a very fast time, but it was not 4.26 like Tariq Woolen ran. But this is where Julius Brents truly showed the freak that he is. A 6.633 is incredible direction skills and agility skills for a player of his size. And he told me yesterday at the Combine that that was his main goal. He wanted to show that he could move quickness-wise and that this is not your typical tall, lengthy corner that has a hard time changing direction. He showed today that is not the case at all. Also, incredible explosiveness, 41-and-a-half-inch vertical, 138-inch broad jumps. Again, this guy was jumping out of the building, so very similar to Tariq Woolen in that sense. So while he might have ran a 40 that was more Richard Sherman-esque than Tariq Woolen-esque, the rest of his numbers were off the charts, elite athleticism, one of the biggest corners that we've seen, and looked really fluid in the drill work as well. So he mentioned yesterday he wanted to put on a show. That is exactly what he did. Second straight year, we've seen a big corner come in and really light it up in Indianapolis. So I think he has secured himself a top 50 pick, maybe even a first rounder. There's going to be a lot of teams looking at him after what happened with Tariq Woolen last year even though he doesn't have the explosive 40 time, the other number, especially the three-cone drill, the quickness that he brings to the table. Uh, teams are not going to be letting a guy like that slip down the draft board this year, I don't think. So he's got a really good chance now to go in the first 50 picks with his size, length, athleticism. And this kid is a really good kid, too. A high-character guy to add to your locker room. I think he's got a great chance to get picked early. Deontay Banks comes in as my number two winner here. Now, this is a player we have not talked about because he hasn't played a lot of snaps at Maryland. There's been injuries. He's missed a lot of games in his college career. But you want to talk about a guy that had a coming out party today, 4.35 second 40. And he's a he's a above six foot tall cornerback. So this is not a small corner by any means. He isn't Julius Brents, but he's not a tiny one either. He led all corners with a 42 inch vertical jump and also had a 136 inch broad jump. He was just behind Julius Brents there. And so you got to see the top speed. You got to see the elite explosiveness, both in the vertical and the broad jump. So this is one of those players that 
really wasn't on the radar going into this process that now teams are going to be taking a much closer look at his film because he hasn't played a lot of football. But those are the kind of guys sometimes you got to take a real close look when they were on the field. You might have yourself a day three steal. He certainly made himself a little bit of money today. Maybe could sneak himself into day two if he continues to have a great offseason. But not a player that was highly regarded in this deep cornerback class that now has put his name on the radar. And last but not least here, Riley Moss. This guy has been one of the most intriguing prospects in this draft process. Had a great senior bowl. You watch the clips. There might not have been a corner that did better in terms of making plays in the football, and that shouldn't surprise anybody. He has 11 interceptions in his college career at Iowa. So when he has a chance to make a play in the football, he does an excellent job of converting those opportunities into turnovers. But the question mark was, what kind of athlete are we going to see? Well, he ran a 4-4-5 40-yard dash, which in this year's class was middle of the pack, but that's still really fast, 39-inch vertical. And I also watched, looking at the, at the ball drills they were doing on the field, and he was as fluid as anybody out there. That shouldn't come as a surprise the way that he looked at the senior bowl. But running a 4-4-5, having an almost 40-inch vertical to go with his ball skills, Riley Moss looks like he has solidified his standing as a day-two corner that has a chance to compete for a starting job in the NFL right away. Iowa players just killing it in this combine on the defensive side of the football. As far as losers, I'm just going to be up front. This was a lot tougher to find losers here because there were some guys that were bigger names coming in that maybe didn't have bad combines, but they didn't help themselves because the group performed so well. And there were so many freak athletes. And that leads to my first one here. Keely Ringo, the Tacoma, Washington native. I've got him on my three down list, not because he didn't show off his speed. He did exactly what he told reporters he was going to do when he spoke with the media on Thursday, ran a four, three, six, 40 at six foot two and over 200 pounds. So in terms of blazing speed, he checks off that box. What concerns me today, and this is something I was worried about watching his game tape, the explosiveness, I wondered about that. And we didn't get to see the change of direction. He didn't do the short shuttle or the three-cone drill. That is something I worry about when I watch his film. But a 33-and-a-half-inch vertical, that was the fourth worst in this cornerback group. And his 10-foot, 2-inch broad jump was the sixth worst. So we didn't see the explosiveness from him. I would have liked to see him be one of the players. Not many guys are running the three-cone drill and the short shuttle anymore. I don't really get that. To me, that is a great chance to show change of direction skills. I would think that's something that you want to show NFL teams. But only two corners actually did that event for this combine. And he was not one of them that did that. I'd like to see what he does at Georgia's Pro Day in that regard to see where his change of direction skills are at. But I just the, the jumping stuff, the explosiveness testing was not as good as what I thought it was going to be. And in a group that performed as well as all the corners did, he stood as a player that just didn't quite meet the hype, in my opinion. And then next on the list, Anthony Johnson, unlike Riley Moss, who built off of the senior bowl that he played really well and had a great combine. Anthony Johnson was one of the standouts, had a pick six in the actual game. And he's a big-bodied corner. There are going to be teams that are intrigued by him, but he did not have a good day today testing-wise. He ran the slowest 40-yard dash among all corners, 4.63 seconds. And he also had the worst vertical at 30 and a half inches. That is a really bad combination. Not only were you slow compared to your peers, but you also had the least explosiveness in the vertical. 
Broad jump wasn't great either. Did not do the three Kona short shuttle. So another big body corner that we did not get to see what his change of direction skills look like, but he did not fare well in any of the drills. So maybe the guy that hurt himself the most today with so many corners running blazing forties and jumping out of the building, you didn't see those athletic traits, unfortunately from Anthony Johnson. And my last loser on this list for three down, this one pains me because I'm a big fan of Clark Phillips. You watch the tape. I still think that this kid is probably going to have an opportunity to be a second round selection because he's a really darn good football player, but he's five foot nine, 184 pounds he is not a big guy. I was expecting him to come in and run in the four fours. He ran a four five one. That is not slow necessarily, but for a 184 pound corner, that's not the speed that you were looking for. And he also only had a 33 inch vertical jump. So I was surprised by that. His four three two short shuttle. He was one of the few guys that did that. That is not a great. Uh, testing number on the short shuttle for a corner that is on the small end of the spectrum. I just didn't think that the testing matched up to what I saw on film necessarily. Again, I'm going to take the film over the testing with a player like Clark Phillips, who's played top competition and been a darn good football player. Again, still think he's a second rounder, but he had an opportunity here if he tested well to maybe be a first round pick. I'm not seeing it at this point. So I think he is a player. You look at Seattle's perspective, smaller corner to begin with, not having the testing numbers really pop here. Uh, it's hard to envision him being a guy that they would pick early to try to pair with Tariq Woolen or with Kobe Bryant now playing in the slot position. Not sure that he's a guy that fits in. I just felt like he had an opportunity here that he didn't necessarily seize. Now let's get to the safety position. As I mentioned moments ago, this really is a microcosm of the draft because the corners, that might be the best overall group in terms of depth. I think the edge rushers are right there with them on defense. But this cornerback group, it was showcased today, the abundance of speed and explosiveness and the depth in this class. You're not going to see that with the safety group. Now, J.L. Skinner, one of the top safeties, at least in my book, from Boise State, he did not participate because he's got a torn pectoral muscle. So he didn't do any of the drills. You knock out one of your big names and already a really top-heavy group, not expecting there to be near the numbers that we saw from the cornerback group, and that was certainly the case. That being said, there still were some players that made themselves some money today, particularly from the University of Illinois, as I'll be talking about here in a second. My first big winner, though, at the safety position is actually in the Pac-12, Daniel Scott and he really is an under-the-radar player. Jim Nagy, who runs the Senior Bowl, has been a guest on our podcast several times. We're hoping to speak with him after the draft this year, as we always do. He was talking on Twitter today about Daniel Scott being one of the most underrated safeties in a somewhat weak class. And we got to see that today from an athleticism standpoint from Daniel Scott. Ran a 4-4-5-40. That was the second fastest in the safety group. 39.5-inch vertical jump. 10 foot, 8 inch broad jump, and he was first in the short shuttle at 4.17 seconds. Excuse me. So he was in the top five in all of those drills. This was one of the few guys that really showcased more athleticism than we expected. He had a solid week in Mobile for the Senior Bowl as well. So this is the kind of guy that he's putting everything together to gain momentum here. And in a safety class that doesn't look like it is going to be a strength for this draft, this is a guy that might have played himself early into the third round 
or maybe even late second because there's just not a lot of options at the safety position with those kind of athletic numbers had some really solid production at California looked good in the senior bowl. I don't know that there were, there was any safety that made more money based on where he was at draft stock wise before the combine where he's at now than Daniel Scott. Now getting to those fighting Illini, Sidney Brown, what a story he is. His brother, uh, his brother is the running back for Illinois as well, and they're both in the draft process right now. Brown rushed for over 1,600 yards, but Sidney Brown had a pretty darn good season too, tied for second in all of college football with six interceptions this season, participating in the Senior Bowl. He and his brother used to be boxers and figure skaters growing up in, as youngsters in Canada before adapting to football and now they've become outstanding football players but you want to talk about a fantastic day Sydney Brown a 44740 there were a lot of people out there myself included that were curious to see how he tested because he didn't always look like he had that kind of speed on game tape you could see the ball skills and the aggressiveness sometimes to a fault but didn't always see that athleticism that popped but he had that really fast 40 time Finished in the top three in both the vertical and broad jump for safeties as well. So you can see the explosiveness on top of that. So he did a lot to make himself some money today because you can see that top line speed. This is a guy that has played in the box some. He's played as a deep safety some. We haven't seen him in the slot against receivers. That's something he's eager to show teams he can do. With that type of athleticism, he should be able to make that adjustment in the NFL with proper coaching. And so he's a guy that really made himself some money. I think the big winner at the safety position, though, was his teammate who also played in the Senior Bowl, Jartavius Martin, he had three interceptions this season for the Fighting Illini. Just think about that secondary because Devin Witherspoon has a chance to go in the top 10 picks, the feisty corner, the physical corner that had a really dominant season for Illinois. Sidney Brown and Jartavius Martin were their safeties, and Kirby Joseph was here last year, had a really good rookie season in the NFL. So Illinois is kicking out a lot of talent at the safety positions, but Martin, you want to talk about a guy that put on a show, 44-inch vertical jump, easily the best among safeties. Also finished first with an 11-foot, 1-inch broad jump, and he ran a 4-4-6, 40-yard dash. So he was in the top two in all of those categories. Explosive, fast, great burst. Martin's another guy that made himself a lot of money today that was pretty darn productive Illinois and also, again, was a senior bowl participant. So these are guys that already had momentum this offseason. All three of these guys playing in the senior bowl, performing well in Mobile, and now they get another opportunity here, and they seize that chance, making themselves some money, boosting their draft stock. So in a safety group that looks pretty thin, all three of these guys maybe could potentially push to be picking day two, early day three, when other drafts that might not necessarily been the case, but these guys had great afternoons. Unfortunately, there were some big losers from this group as well. Maybe the biggest surprise for me, a player that I actually, in my article on all Seahawks, he was listed as one of my day three sleeper candidates. Rashad Torrance did everything that he couldn't afford to do today, working out in the combine, a 4.72 40-yard dash that is snail speed for a safety, especially one that's supposed to be more of a ball hawking safety. 
That is not what I was expecting. I didn't think he was going to run in the four fours, but I thought he'd be in the four fives. Four seven two. That is a big drop off. Second slowest among all safeties. 33 and a half inch vertical jump was near the bottom of the list as well. Didn't do the three cone or the short shuttle drill. So another player, we didn't even get to see what his change of direction skills look like. He might've been able to salvage things a little bit if he did fairly well in those drills, but the straight line speed and the explosiveness simply were not there. A pretty low athletic score coming out of this. So Real big missed opportunity there for Rashad Torrance. One of the guys I thought was going to come out and maybe prove people wrong in terms of athleticism. Not the case in Indianapolis. Second loser for me on this list, Brandon Joseph. This one pains me because I love the player. I love what I see on film. His first three years at Northwestern, one of those seasons he had five interceptions for the Wildcats. They made the Big Ten title game that year. And then his senior season in Notre Dame, the production just wasn't there. Didn't do anything to really squash critics that have questioned his athleticism. 4.62 in the 40-yard dash, maybe not the worst thing, certainly not as bad as what Rashad Torrance's run was, but he still was near the bottom of the list for safeties. 33.5-inch vertical. Uh, actually, his was 30 and a half. 33 and a half was Rashad Torrance. 30 and a half was dead last for Brandon Joseph. So that is not what you wanted to see from him. He was one of the slower 40 times, dead last in the vertical jump, did a little bit better in the broad jump. And he was one of the few guys that actually did the three cone and the short shuttle. His times there were respectable, not great, but they were respectable. But still, that slow 40 time for a safety, as well as that really poor vertical jump time, a vertical jump test. Those put him in a really tough situation going into this draft. A guy that was getting some second and third round buzz, he might now squarely be a day three guy because of those athletic limitations that were put on display here. And my last player on here, this is a guy that was floating in first round conversation. He was a consensus All-American this year for Georgia, the national champions. Christopher Smith is a really good football player, but he is another one of those guys that the testing numbers today, there have been some questions about whether or not his athleticism is going to stack up in the NFL. He didn't do anything to silence those critics today. He also ran a 4.6240, and he's a smaller safety. We're talking 5'11", 190 pounds. I thought he was going to run the low 4.5s, maybe even the 4.4s. Ran a 4.62, 33-inch vertical, another player that was near the bottom of the list. And he also tied for the worst broad jump among safety. So the trifecta there. He scored poorly on all of the drills that he participated in, did not do three-cone or short shuttle drills as well. Based on the film I've seen, seen, his change of direction is maybe his strength. So he might have done better in those drills, but didn't showcase the straight line speed that some people anticipated. And certainly not the explosiveness with the worst broad jump and one of the worst vertical jumps among the safety group. And so I had him as a borderline first round pick because of what he did at Georgia. Maybe there's some teams that still view him that way, but this could cause a big drop off for him late on day two and maybe even into day three with a number of other safeties having far better days that also were very productive in their own way, like Sidney Brown with his six interceptions this season. Christopher Smith didn't equal those. So certainly he is a player that hurt his stock today and might have plummeted where he ends up getting drafted, lost some money 
in today's testing. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out the Locked On Seahawk podcast. We are on all major podcast platforms and streaming five days a week video form on YouTube. When we come back on Monday, we'll be closing out our combine coverage, looking at quarterbacks and offensive linemen to wrap things up. So we'll be looking at the big winners and losers at those position groups. And we'll be dishing out some mock draft analysis coming out of the combine as well. Going to be a really fun episode. Hope you enjoy your weekend and the rest of the combine. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.